You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. We're your hosts, Brandon and Daniela, and this is episode 26. Yay. How are you this week? Good. How are you? I am okay. Just okay? You're you know, not I'm great. great? You're not wonderful? You know, I am actually pretty good because we have a... It was a week full of different stuff happening fermentation related or at least articles coming out different things so yeah it was it was a good week that's why it was a good week your week is determined by the fermentation articles that's in your... regard to firm up the podcast i'd say so yeah well that's good yeah and uh and one of those things is a recent study that just came out saying that cheese a fermented product is uh good for potentially good for preventing cavities Yay, yay for cheese. That's great for me. Although it doesn't show it to be too true, but... Yeah, you don't seem to have that good of teeth, do you? <laughs> Thanks. I don't have black teeth, but yes, I am very cavity prone, even though I take care of my teeth every day and floss every day. So do you think if you ate more cheese, according to that study, that you would be better off? I don't know. Probably not. I do eat a lot of cheese, so it's not proving to be correct in my case. Or... In my Maybe defense, you haven't I, eaten enough cake, enough cheese. I do. I used to eat a lot of suckers when I was younger. I think that's what kind of killed it for me. But so it's just that everlasting, forever. You're haunted by those that history of being a child. Well, a teenager. Okay. Well, anyway, there was these this this study that was done that was recently published in General Dentistry in the May June, 2013 issue. So or journal. really recent. Yeah, and it was a. Uh, it was studying the pH of plaque in the mouths of subjects that were 12 to 15 years old. So there were 68 of these, these kids. And they were, they were asked to not brush their teeth for 48 hours in order to let the plaque build up because that's what they were going to be measuring. And then they split them into different control or a control group and then, and then other groups. And so there was 34 of the subjects had no tooth decay or missing or filled teeth. And then the other 34 had cavities or missing teeth and filings. And so then out of those, so there was already two separate groups of, of kids in that regard. And then out of, they were split into the different, different groups and they had randomly assigned them to one of four groups. They had the cheese group, those that ate cheese, those that ate milk, those that ate yogurt, and then those that had paraffin. They were the control group. What's that? Drank milk. You said ate milk. Yeah, exactly. They they put it in their mouth and and swallowed. (laughs) Subjects were allowed to chew and or squish their respective product for three minutes. And so that's that's according to the study. That's, that's, That's what it had in there. And the pH was then assessed... At different time intervals, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, such and such. Does that make sense? Yes, you look it does. I'm confused. following so far. Okay. Dry contacts. Dry contacts will make you look confused. Yes. I don't think cheese will do anything for that. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, they, they the, the results did show statistically significant change in, in, the, in the plaque pH after consuming different dairy products. So the main thing that was uh, was that was after 30 minutes, the plaque pH was higher in the cheese group. So cheese seemed to, to affect the pH of plaque to a much greater extent. And the conclusions they kind of had from that was that that 
cheese and dairy products in ge general have anti-carcinogenic activity and it's attributed to the chemical effects of casein, the milk protein, phospho let me look at my notes here. Calcium, phosphate, and phosphopeptides. Oh, those you didn't have things. those memorized? Sorry. <laughs> but those are the things that are supposedly having something to do with the, the pH balance. But that's dairy, right? Milk is that's, dairy. Why not? Why did the study with milk individuals... With with cheese? The people that ate the cheese? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, but you said that they also had individuals drinking milk, and their pH level was not nearly as high as the cheese... Well, yeah, and, the, and the, so the other factors that are part of the cheese consumption are the 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 diffusion of calcium and phosphorus into the plaque from the cheese was what was a part of it, along with the chewing. The uh, that was a that was a new new word I, I learned was the celiagogue. Celiagogu. And what does that mean? It's a production. It's a producer of saliva. So the chewing action of chewing the cheese, it's the only one that was chewed in the, in the, in the study. The others were swallowed, swallowed, swished, different things like that. But the, the cheese was chewed in, in that action, creating more saliva. And the fact that it contains significant amounts of tyramine, which, which could be used by the microorganisms, that, that microbiome of the mouth. And then that's, that's what the microorganisms are actually the ones raising the pH value higher than the other dairy products. And, uh, and also the peptides in cheese. But this was just a suggestion, correct? The study the suggests suggestion? that... There's the study isn't higher... suggesting anything. It, it shows... It's not stating, though, that cheese is going to prevent cavities. It's suggesting that there's a higher level of pH that would potentially prevent cavities. So it's not stating, let's go eat a whole bunch of cheese and it's going to make sure... No, you... I don't think any scientific yeah. article is really saying that. That's more of the journalist that then will take it in a different direction, saying, okay. stating maybe more. But I, I would say that this one is showing that... And there have been other studies that have been done previously on, on milk and teeth and, and dairy products and teeth. But it's, this is just another study that's looking like cheese may have the more effect on the, the pH level and on the microbiome of the mouth. But it's kind of just interesting. Just don't eat sugar and you'll be fine, right? Well, there's... I don't know enough about... I know I'm just to say anyways, but yes, that's the general thing is like sugar is a cavity causer. And this is saying that the opposite of dairy is not a cavity causer. Those other ones are kind of more neutral. They don't change the pH too much uh, in a drastic way, but the cheese cheese does. So it was an interesting article. There's there some, some even more fascinating stuff because it, it, it's about, food specifically and about pairing fermented foods with different uh well specifically in restaurant food so and and, and this was a, a a the boston globe i believe is is where this came from but it's uh, how fermentation is used at number nine park which is a restaurant in boston and uh and they're they're starting actually a new series in this publication and it's the new series on science and cooking we will be exploring the biology of food and how it translates to high-end restaurant kitchens i'm sorry so what did you just say there's going to be a new article written in were you this? even listening 
I was. It's just you kind of stumbled. Uh, so it's going to be a new... There's a new series of articles that are going to deal with science and cooking and exploring the biology of food. In this, um, is it a website or a magazine or both? The Boston, I don't have it right in front of me where it's from. It's a Boston Globe or or something. I think it's from the newspaper okay. article. I don't have okay. the actual, I have the link, but I, it will be in the show notes. You'll find them at firmup.com slash podcast slash 26. But it's a new series. This is the first one. So you'll find in the show notes the link to this article, which is about fermentation that is used at Number 9 Park. That's awesome. Restaurants and fermenta- fermented foods is a, it's pretty pretty cool. Wish there were more. Well, and it's, it's interesting because it's Scott Jones, who's the chef there at Number 9 Park. But then it's also, if you listen to many of these podcasts, also includes uh, Ben Wolf. So it's, it's co-written by both of them. And um, Ben Wolf, of course, the Harvard microbiologist that studies cheese rinds, but has also worked with uh, Momofuku and, and their fermented meats and, and, and misos and different things like that. So this is some, some things that came out of that, that article that were, were things to consider that you can kind of do it at home is uh, fermenting Jerusalem artichokes, otherwise known as sunchokes. Something I did not know that was in this article is sometimes they are referred to as fartichoke. I like that term. Have you heard that before? No, not until I read that article. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it's because they cause gas when eaten. And this goes back to the microbiome in, in the gut and the bacteria, the good bacteria in the gut. Certain things they are able to digest that we can't. And sometimes that digestion process, that metabolizing of the, the, in this specific instance, the inulin in it is something that we can't digest, but the bacteria can. And then, so then it creates gas buildup in our stomachs. So as like one of the reasons to ferment things is the pre-digestion of foods. So you don't fart as much? So you don't fart as much. Yes, you could say it that way. I mean, that's that's one thing. It makes things easier, more accessible for us sometimes to digest. But specifically with with sunchokes, it's the it's digesting the inulin. I put the comparison to say for yogurt digesting of the lactose, so that I can eat that, which I cannot digest lactose otherwise. But lactose gives me a little bit more than gas. Does it um, give you gas too, or just yes. the the, ba- the bowel? Oh, extreme gas, but otherwise too. Yes, it's. You, know, you have to think everything. of a creative way to call that one. Milka fart. <laughs> fart of uh, milk. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I, uh, th- but, but that was a good idea. I've never actually tried fermenting. Are you still trying to come up with things? <laughs> yes. I see your mind is off and somewhere else like trying to, trying to figure out names for this. You keep thinking about it. Follow up with us in, in a future episode. Sure. But since since the bacteria are digesting the inulin, but of course that's not the only reason to do it. And the article also states that you know it it has a good taste, and it of course encourages the growth of lactic acid bacteria, and it makes for a sweet, salty, flour, uh, sour flavor, according to the the article. And, I like um, that mixture. It goes well with yes. I mean, it's pretty much the fermentation taste of things. I I think of sunchokes as being a little earthy too. So I wonder how that comes out in the fermentation process. I mean that that tuber taste. I can kind of imagine earthiness. Or maybe you, I just don't clean my for sunchokes. For you, earthiness are, doesn't enough. like you have a hard time comprehending how earthiness could 
no, no, play no, into the sweet didn't and have sour. It in it. So, I mean, maybe, maybe it's because I don't clean my sunchokes well enough. Maybe they're still kind of dirty and that's where my earthiness taste is coming from. <laughs> but, uh, but the, in this article, they're just using a 5% brine at 55 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit and leaving it for three days. You can leave it for more for a little bit stronger. I'd probably leave it for a few more. And then be like, oh, it's too much. No, I'd probably leave it for five at least. But why not try it with three? I would try it with three. You but would, I'm just okay. saying, I, I feel like you the, would just go directly to more days. I might forget about it but you for, love, until the fifth day. You love my um, sourdough bread that isn't like ridiculously sour. And you used to claim that you like really sourdough bread sour. That made no sense, but people get what I'm saying. Yes, but your sourdough is at least sour. It's not like a mild. It's milder. But not so mild. Versus where you make your... I'm just pointing out. Where is this? You know, we're talking about, you know, well-prepared food. I'm sure that these things balance well. And and so I think it probably also depends how long a person's going to let it ferment, depending on what they're going to pair it with. Since this is coming in a restaurant, this one is being uh, paired with fish and it's it's being prepared with my notes today are just really kind of all over the place is it is halibut is is what that's going to be paired with and so you know you get uh those two together so try it at home i don't know exactly all the preparation that goes into that but number nine park looks like a uh a good restaurant too. Looking at their menu and everything, I'll have a link in the show notes just for the for the restaurant in general. I wish we had more restaurants in Madison that promoted really, the, fermented. You, you wish there was more restaurants in Madison? No, no more restaurants. We have enough of those, but that promoted enough? more fermentation in on the menu. I mean, even the ones that I enjoy, the nicer restaurants that have a good menu and good food, it's still. It lacks fermentation on the menu. You want fermentation fermented to be foods. more on the forefront because, I mean, some of these things do include fermentation. Well, yes. But, yeah, like a side dish or something as you know, a fermented. Well, see, but I find it actually more intriguing with this stuff. Yeah, whether it's a side dish or. I mean, or... even like pickles, like real fermented pickles, pickled pickles. Oh, you just want like your hamburger with pickles. No, well, I'm I mean, kinda... I'm even pointing out that, you know, they have pickles, but they're not actually fermented. Sometimes they are, but you can find that here. Not so much. Um, and you got your sausage all over this area too. Yeah, but sausages, I, I question just because of the kind of meat that's in there. Potentially, but I'm just saying that there is fermented food in, in Madison as well. Just not much. And I think that you will... Uh, th- this is the kind of stuff that I actually find even more intriguing because, you know, side dishes or a pickle or different things like that. That's the kind of stuff I can do easily at home. I really kind of like... The restaurants, which you're arguing aren't necessarily in Madison as much, but maybe you're missing them as well. So I'm not going to rule out that there aren't restaurants here or nearby that are, you know, even take a drive down to Chicago. Okay. Well, that's different. You know, We're in Madison. I am just saying I like these restaurants that are using the, the fermented foods and, and pairing them with different foods in ways that I probably wouldn't think of on my own. Or wouldn't want to necessarily because it takes days to get to the final product. Well, I'm okay with the fermentation side of things taking a while, but yeah, if there's other preparation involved and different things and, and sourcing all the ingredients, sometimes it's a little bit easier to go out to a restaurant that is really focused on these kind of things and to have multiple courses that are focused that have at least a little bit of fermentation because I think a lot of this is really coming from taste exploration that some of the finest restaurants 
throughout this nation and elsewhere in the world are really trying to focus. And, and it's that new frontier of, of taste. Fermentation offers tastes that are old world as it will, while in traditional, while at the same time bringing in new things, depending on what's being fermented, you know, like some of the stuff that happens at Momofuku with their, their pistachio miso and different things like that. I mean, those are the kind of things that are really much more intriguing to me on a taste perspective, because you know, you're dealing with people that are just focused on the taste of these things. Then some like old country recipe. Yeah, which probably still tastes good in a lot of old country oh, no, recipes I agree with do you. taste good, I'm... but they're they're not it's not the same level. Oh, I understand. I completely agree with you. I like the mixture of the old and the new. Yeah, and 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 that's like uh, I think a lot of things. I mean, that's that's where it's like the food pairings. I think just I mean, fermentation is just is just ripe for more pairings of foods. And so, yes, if there aren't any places in Madison or nearby, then we should hopefully start seeing some more that would be in, the, in the future. Because that kind of does seem like where things are, are leading towards. You get, you got a lot of these top chefs that are just incorporating fermented foods. And probably way... wanting to explore foods in ways that they have not been explored. Maybe it's a new frontier of food. Yeah. At least, I mean, it's, it, it it's, it's a part of it. I mean, you've got all different aspects of, of food. And, and yes, the fermentation is definitely not new. But I don't know. I kind of just... Well, it's kind of like new, these... though. No. Uh, not new as in it's new. It's just it's been forgotten, I feel like. No, but it's... I mean, I I think that... I, it's I not still a... Pr- would, it... I would argue that, that things are being approached a little bit differently. Maybe it's more appreciated? Well, because now it's not about preservation. It's about taste exploration. Exactly. I mean, there's, there is a difference there when not that there hasn't been exploration in, in wine and bread and, and cheese and, but it's just, it's starting to go into, to a greater detail. I mean, you get some of that with like some of the traditions of kimchi and, and all of the, uh, the Japanese pickles and otherwise, I mean, you get some of this, but I just, I think the, I, I mean, and, and it could just feel new. Maybe it's not really as as new. I mean, it's popular, like you're saying. Now it's it's becoming much more popular. It's becoming more more sought out. I think. I think that's really kind of maybe the the big difference is that there is the 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 guests going into these restaurants are are seeking this stuff out. True. True. I think that's probably part so, of my thought. Market awareness, I guess. Maybe if if nothing. As long else. as it doesn't become abused down the road, you know, I can see that happening too. Abusing, abusing. As what? in. Uh, it becomes like something pure and real, and then it becomes... Really? You're worried that the fermentation scene is going to sell out? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yes. It, it's sad, I know, but it just seems like sometimes something really good... You just... don't want fermentation to go mainstream, is that what you're saying? No, I don't mind if it goes mainstream, as long cool as it doesn't... That? No, 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 no. As long as it doesn't change it or destroy it, if that even is possible, but... You're worried that major corporations are going to start opening up chains that are full of fermented foods would that really be a bad thing no that wouldn't be a bad thing as long as they weren't changing the way it was made done processed fermented that kind of stuff worries me like are they going to start finding shortcuts or creating things in a lab that's gonna potentially have the same amount of account of bacteria in it but it's not necessarily the full-on fermentation process i mean this is completely something i'm just making but up in my head just as good what's the difference um usually it seems like anytime we try to cut corners for the most part things haven't worked in our favor and it that's depends. my worry 
I'm not saying it's going to happen or if it's even possible. I'm just, that's just something that comes to my mind. It seems like anytime we try to do something quick. Fast food fermentation? Yeah, you know, it just seems that doesn't work. I don't, I guess I don't really, I'm not concerned about the corruption of fermented it's foods. Like I mean, I McDonald's, think McDonald's, you know, fermented. <laughs> I, I, anyway. I think canning kind of corrupted a lot of fermented foods in general, too. I mean, just. True. Canning did. You know, because it, it, it eventually, you know, became something where it's like, well, we can just add the the fermented vinegar. We can just add the vinegar at the end. And, you know, it's like, sure, we have to deal with the fermented product, but not for the actual pickles. We can just boil some vinegar and put it on top of cucumbers and we've got pickles. Yep. I th- so, but I don't think that that ever ruined the amazing taste. If, if nothing but else, it brings awareness. But how many people really have tried fermented pickles or cucumbers? I think that a lot you know, of people, people aren't even associate aware that pickles, pickles with pickles. You mean, well, I think that's the thing. It's, it's always going to kind of be that way. Kind of like sauerkraut. I mean, a lot of people know of. But sauerkraut is fermented, at least. You can't skip that process. Yeah, but no, and that's fine. Yes, that's true. But then my problem is with the way it's being sold in the stores. That's kind of like what I worry about is it's been marketed as a non-fermented food that people only, a lot of people, not everyone, hopefully, but many people only know as Frank's, is it Frank's? Sauerkraut. That's, that's one brand. It's a dead kraut. So that's that's really, that's all. But I was just pointing it, but out. But what does it really matter? I mean, if if you're coming at it from a culinary aspect, does it really matter if it's alive or dead? As but long it's as not you get even good. It doesn't even taste good. That's the whole point. Okay, so your argument is you don't like the large production of sauerkraut. You like the small scale, small batch sauerkraut. It sounds like that's more of it. I mean, well, I, I mean, wonder uh, if you have if you have small batch sauerkraut. Or I enjoy the, sauerkraut. the kimchi that we um, have tried from a, a grocery store. That's it's a fermented kimchi, and I'm sure it's being made on a large scale because it's at a very large grocery store. It's a chain, well, it's a Wisconsin chain, but um, and that doesn't bother me. That's actually really good. It's 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 not the large production. It's how large production can sometimes then change the way things are made. The end product is could be drastically different than originally what it would have been created as. If that makes sense. See, I don't see it really that way in the sense of it being a bad thing. I think that you know the more oh I do popular kimchi sauerkrauts and different things a small batch ones especially coming in in kind of getting people interested in fermented foods i think that in restaurants specifically coming up and starting to pair a lot more foods well restaurants with, yes with with fermented things i don't think it matters if if i i don't think you can corrupt it i think of anything it's that well do you wouldn't you say you know certain coffees have corrupted the way people perceive coffee and that's why so many people that have had horrible horrible coffee can only drink it with milk and sugar it's like they have never been exposed to good coffee to know that you can have a good black coffee just by itself that's kind of what i say when i say i don't want it to be not i don't want it to be mainstream i just don't want it to be corrupted okay but you're talking about it in the opposite direction because some of i would argue the best coffees are available today and never were before. So you needed that big movement of people drinking coffee and spreading coffee throughout the world and growing coffee in different regions that had never grown coffee okay, before. Okay, I see your history. point. I see your side too. Okay, so and yes, there's always... Have, I'm sorry, Starbucks, but again, uh, it's, it's Starbucks had something to do, a, a major part to do with spreading coffee throughout this nation, especially and the world now. And it it's, for a lot of people, that is the kind of coffee the they highest know. quality coffee that they've ever had. It may not be that high of quality or 
at least it focuses more on the roast as opposed to the the taste aspects of the origin or terroir. Well, wouldn't you or compare Starbucks like coffee to kind of like McDonald's of food? Well, they're yes, trying it, to be it consistent. Is, it is, but they did spread the word because okay, being yes, large and being cheaper and, and being able to be more efficient than a small batch roaster, they're they're able to spread the word, and then others can kind of follow behind. Just do it much and, better. And yeah, and do it better. And, and it, you know, so it, it's that education aspect of things. So I don't think it really matters. I don't think you can corrupt fermented things. If the more popular it becomes, even if it does become fast food fermentation, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's actually a good thing because it gets more people aware. And most people are never going to be aware anyway about the food or different stuff that they eat anyway. So I think that what restaurants are kind of doing is 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 wonderful. And I don't care if McDonald's starts offering a, a fermented salad or, or some or like such. like a sauerkraut on the side. I can see that happening in the future. Well, I'm sure they probably already do in places like Germany or Poland. Okay, yes. McDonald's is not the same in depending well, on what I'm country just, it is. I'm but. just saying. I mean, they're, 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 they're already doing those kind of things. So back to this article and uh, number nine park. I'm assuming I'm, I'm, I, I have not actually heard the name of this restaurant said out loud. I'm assuming it's number nine park because it's N-O period nine park. Probably. I can't imagine how else you'd – what would you no call nine? it? No, it would not have a period two, after the O. Two, two no's in a, in a row. No, and then nine. Nine. Um, anyway, uh, so back to this. Their other thing that they uh, talked about in this was kombucha marinated fish. So here today, you're getting a couple things that you can ferment. And then pair with fish. So start thinking about fish, not just fish sauce, but like how can you pair things with some light fishes? And, and they're marinating it with a, a flat fish of sorts. The one thing I didn't agree with is that there was the quote, kombucha is a really ugly fermentation. Even a micro, microbe-loving food microbiologist, even even to a, a food micro... It's a... Really? I, I said... personally think that uh, kombucha is pretty darn cool. I don't think it's ugly. I agree. I've, I, I mean, I, get, I, I understand why a lot of people would think it's ugly and gross, potentially. It's just because so of cool. the, and I think the it, slime that starts folding on top. I get it, but I, I, it doesn't really bother me. I think which, it depends on how clean the, the not how clean, I, I don't mean those in those terms, but there, sometimes you the, the mother same. or the scoby are a little nasty looking, and other times they just form that nice, thick, um, like just Slime. i don't it's not but i don't know sometimes sometimes it just looks really nice yeah and other times it does look kind of gross well i think that's depends but i can't on the agree with the blanket and... statement of it being gross all the time that's my my one thing yeah I but mean... i i do like this idea though of the kombucha being mixed with a flat fish and it's a turbot turbo fish yes i probably just butchered that name as well but it's a fish that is a firm texture in higher fat content that can stand up to the kombucha. And so it's sliced thin, marinated with kombucha. So again, another, just marinate it with the kombucha. You're going to get nice, nice flavors. And then it, for the restaurant, they're dressing it with warm oil seasoned with garlic, chili, and lime zest. Sounds delicious. Yes. So, and, and, and they, they also then pair that marinated fish along with black garlic, which again, they're calling fermented garlic. I'm going to have to keep looking into this. Uh, sounds like it's not, but who knows? I mean, the Nordic Food Lab said it wasn't. They said it's maybe an it's just process. referred to as fermented garlic because it's been used 
like because that for so long. Yeah, reference so long. to that people just call it fermented garlic, even though it's not necessarily fermented. It's the never-ending Otherwise, black garlic that haunts me. It tastes good, though. I love the taste of it. But the uh, pickled watermelon cucumbers as well, and that one is definitely fermented. And uh, that sounds very nice as, as well. Yes, it does. And then uh, watermelon radishes, which are also paired with this dish that are not fermented, but they taste funky. So Forever they there, we really well. should check this that place out. Take that, check that, go to Boston and check that place out. If we're ever in the area, yeah. I would. I, it sounds like a great place to go. I think. I, looking at their menu, I definitely want to go there. So, and it'd again, be hard to choose though. It's like let me order three different items. Well, I think that the menu's kind of set up to do a lot of that stuff, so you'd be able to try a lot of different things. So, uh, the uh, the 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 final quote from from that regarding the kombucha and fish is the funk of the kombucha carried through the dish and added a depth of flavor that vinegar or tea alone wouldn't achieve. So again, back to the whole fermentation thing. Sometimes you get flavors that you could not get otherwise. I so gotcha. that's why I don't think you're going to get that fast food fermentation. I don't think you're going to be able to corrupt things and, and fake it. Maybe to the untrained palate. But we're talking about nice restaurants and people that are, are educated. And, and appreciate good food. Out. Yes. And hey, people don't, when they're going out to a nice restaurant, even if they don't know that it's fermented, they're going to be amazed by the flavors. I'm sure. So... That's the important thing. Another study wow. is the, the, the changes in the gut microflora that can affect brain functioning. So if you eat a whole bunch of yogurt in this study, it was probiotic yogurt. So again, I don't know how much that really plays into it versus just regular yogurt. That's, I guess you could say probiotic in its own way. The, uh, you know, the regular, regular yogurt consumption affects brain activity. And they took 36 women between the ages of 18 and 55, and they split them into three groups. One group ate a specific probiotic yogurt twice a day for four weeks. Another group consumed a dairy product. So they just, you know, took something like milk. But it tasted like yogurt, so they didn't know. And then there was a third group that ate no product at all. Why not men? Yeah, see, that's my one trouble with this This. This study. Well, for one, there's, I mean, there's probably many, many issues. So it's first, it's a, it's a probiotic yogurt. So, you know, because again, there's been a lot of studies done on yogurt, but now it seems to be all towards the probiotic yogurt, which, you know, how can we really differentiate what the difference is between the probiotic? I mean, is is there really that much of a difference between the probiotic yogurt versus the non-probiotic Yeah, what, what are they stating makes or it? Or the not, the, the non-probiotic added yogurt, I guess. But Oh, they, they add the... Yes, this is probiotic yogurt that's been boosted with pro- oh, probiotics. Okay, I was thinking and, it was just a natural. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it, no, but this one is. And so why women? My guess is that, again, or yogurt moody? especially is, except for that one men's yogurt that like had ripped abs and like. I love how <laughs> we as a society tried to target like different it's just so funny it was, that there's a, that, tough men. There's like a food specifically catered for men or women. But just, since women are the uh, biggest consumers in general, a, a lot of food marketing goes towards them. And so that's probably why this was done on women, because they were trying to find positive effects of eating yogurt for women so that they would buy women could be marketed to and buy more yogurt at the store. That's my guess. So I don't know if it, if it really makes a difference about it being men or women, and I don't even know how, uh, what what these findings will, will how they'll compare to other things. But it's just something that came up, and you know they they did functional magnetic resonance imaging scans, and 
they did this before and after the four week uh, study period. And they looked at the women's brains at rest. And they also looked at it in the, you know, the emotional recognition tasks, you know, like when they, they, they show angry or frightened faces, mm-hmm. you know, like the little projector flashes things and things happen in our brains. And yes, yes, I gotcha. So they did find that the yogurt consuming people, women, that is, showed a decrease in activity in both the insula, which is the process that integrates internal body sensations, like those from the gut, and then the somatosensory cortex. And during during the emotional reactivity test, it did the same. They, they, they had those same kind of things, and, and it had a decrease in the engagement of the widespread network in the brain that includes emotion, cognition, and sensory-related areas. So it kind of just chilled them out i don't know <laughs> kind of kind of what it, it looked like to me chilled them out relaxed them made them not so reactionary not so uh, well i don't know and so they the the women that didn't the other two groups they didn't they had increased activity in this network so when they see frightened faces or when they're at rest they had increased so this is just you know the, during the um the the resting brain scan the women that consume the probiotic yogurt had extra lighting up in regions that were associated with cognition and in the prefrontal cortex. So a lot of a lot of stuff. There's the 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 activity of the brain. Summing it up is different in these women that are eating the probiotic yogurt for four weeks and the the women that were eating dairy or just nothing. But are we saying that that's necessarily better, or are we saying that that's better? Well, it seems that. You know, less reactionary, maybe less. This is my non-scientific. But is that a good thing? I mean, is it good that our brain isn't as sensitive to these? Well, I think I'm extrapolating probably a little too far in this explanation, but looking at it in the sense of, I don't know, we don't really have to run away from tigers too much anymore. And, you know, we don't need to necessarily have a heightened response when we're in traffic or different things like that. I mean, it's... So you're saying it would potentially reduce anger? I don't, I don't actually don't know what those areas and regions of the brain are really about. I mean, the main thing I think only that we can take from this is that it does have a difference. What that difference. difference. They did, they did say they were, the researchers were surprised that the brain effects could be seen in many areas, including those involved in sensory processing and not merely those associated with emotion. Because at first they were really just going for emotion. They thought that this would affect emotion, you know, chill some women out. But, uh, the, the question of whether repeated courses of, of antibiotics can affect the brain is kind of another bigger picture. So in the opposite way, again, we can't make any conclusions about this, but if, if probiotics can benefit the brain, are antibiotics harming the brain is kind of the, one of the questions they, that Makes future sense. studies could be focusing on. I would argue they probably do, but that's just my non-scientific well yeah and then the the questions are that are really important for that are antibiotics used that are used a lot in neonatal intensive care units well they're i feel like people are always given antibiotics for any issue they have they go to the doctor and that's what they get i feel like they're there's more studies that want to be done to study even at children if are those newborns that are getting a lot of antibiotics in the neonatal care centers are they are those having long-term consequences on the brain, not just on the gut, but on the brain as well. And you know how this is all interconnected. 
And so this is just another one of those things where you are what you eat and, uh, and gut feelings. Those are the two terms that kind of come out as a, as something to think about because you know, those kind of maybe do really come from somewhere on a little bit less scientific of a note. There's a Welsh Welsh cheese makers that are, uh, that are fermenting their cheeses in caves. I don't think they're the only ones fermenting them in caves, but, uh, and definitely not throughout history, the only ones that are fermenting them in caves, but they're, they're taking one of their cheddar cheeses and, and putting it deep down in a cave. And they're arguing that they're getting more cavey tastes to things. I don't know. What is a cavey taste? Well, some of the things that with the high moisture, consistent temperatures, there's not as much moisture loss. So there's, you know, potentially differences to the taste. What they mean by cavey taste, I'm not exactly sure. Like, could you replicate a cave? Which, to a certain extent, is what modern cheese aging is 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 doing, is replicating caves or other damp, cool temperatures. Maybe a cavey taste is like a consistent taste? I don't know. I don't know. But it, this is, this is they're, they're doing it in the National Show Caves of Wales. So they're really, I think the bigger part of the story is probably that cheesemakers are figuring out how to get more into tourism specifically in this way it's like because they're also going to be as tourists that are going through these these 11 miles of caves are going to see cheeses fermenting along see the way cheeses fermenting and and it all came out of a, a study that was or a trial run that they did for uh for six months they they did a trial storage period of some amount of cheese and they put it a quarter of a mile underground in these in these runs of, of cheese caves which are not cheese caves but these these caves actually in a 2005 poll of radio times readers some British radio thing, I'm assuming they, uh, they named this, this, I can't even pronounce the name of these caves. I mean, I can't, I mean, I just don't know Dan, you're Ogoff, but I, I don't know. It's just looks, I don't know, but that, that's, it's that what, one. So what did they name them? They named it uh, one of the greatest natural wonders in Britain as, as the greatest natural wonder. So according to some, some Brits, it's a, it's a very, in, a very important place and cool place. And so it's a, I mean, it, it is 11 mile system. And so now they're going to be storing them down there. Tourists that are going through there, you know, especially international tourists, this is kind of becoming a hit thing with them is that then they'll be able to taste the cheeses in the, the coffee shop at the cave. Oh, really? And that, so the cheeses they saw aged down there, they can, you know, it's just another way to, for cheesemakers to, to, to make a few bucks, I guess, to, to get more awareness to cheese and and also probably it helps people understand a little bit more of how cheese not only some of the history of cheese because back in the 1600s that's when cheese first started um, being left in caves to mature so i mean it goes way back it's a part of history and so i think again it goes back to that fermentation and cheese making education and just people becoming more aware of oh cheese is 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 aged this way or that way and correct yeah you know i like that part and especially the cave is, I think, a really good because, yes, you oftentimes refer to things like I have a, an old refrigerator that, you know, it's kind of my cheese cave. But for people to be able to connect a little bit deeper level, it's like, oh, it's the moisture. It's the, the, the consistent temperatures. Those are the kind of things that cheese like to be able to age with for the most part. So in, important, interesting stuff. And uh, oh, and that's the the Blinophon Cheddar Company. Again, probably mispronouncing that name. That's I, okay. I apologize. And I guess the one last thing that kind of caught my eye this week was in Ideas and Food. Again, if you don't follow Ideas and Food, 
it's it's probably a good idea to follow that blog. They got lots of good ideas in food. <laughs> but this this is their they just did a short little post with the preserved lemon sausage. 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 Yes. They uh they're beginning that, so don't know how it's going to turn out. Don't know what it's going to going to be like, but it sounds very good and it is so just pretty much straight from their blog. They said they started with pork shoulder and belly. They seasoned the meat with 0.75% salt and a heavy dose of preserved lemons. So again, you got to preserve your lemons for a month or more beforehand before you can be able to make this. But then, So read can... the recipe all the way through before starting? Well, they don't have a recipe on this website. This is just oh. I, I, another idea in food, oh, okay. I would say. But um, And then they added smoked crushed red pepper, topped the meat off with some white wine, and then they're letting it marinate for two days, and then they'll grind it into sausage. And then I don't know how long they're going to let it ferment. That sounds really delicious, actually. It sounds very delicious. And that's another reason why I would like to get into meat fermentation sometime soon. I think you should. But I think I should probably... I will be your test buddy. I should probably get a little better at cheese making first. Hey, you've started making cheese. You know what? I should probably stick with that one a little bit before... I don't know. I feel like... I feel like some of those are some of the big ones. Like things. you're doing your sourdough. That's a that's a that's a big world of sourdough. Really? You don't think so? I'm Bread? Sure. It is. You've only you just barely have touched the surface. The surface. The the chip the crust the, of chip bread. The crust. Yes, it's like. Which? Did you tell people that you you have like amazing crusts now? No, I I did not. How are you getting your amazing crusts? I'm pretty sure you told them at one point how that's going to happen. Oh, the, I said it with that, that it's that two-part Dutch oven thing. Yeah, it works really well. It's the best bread I have ever made. Because it allows long. you to have that steam without needing a steam commercial Yeah, it oven. cooks the bread really well. But then also, I'm sure just the fact that I'm following a good recipe, it's I'm making some of the best breads I've ever actually had, I would argue. So... So there's probably two parts to that. There's first the part that you're following a recipe yeah. fully actually following it all the way through and um, it's not very difficult so I really appreciate that it's just like the author suggests really reading the recipe all the way through before starting it's a good tip um, and uh, yeah it's I'm pretty much making just a country bread for now because I really want to get comfortable making it and um, exactly see there's so much start, more in sourdough yeah start getting the consistency of it um, like a repeated consistency but yeah and then I'm eventually going to start branching out but this bread has just been so amazing and i think the the the, the dutch is it dutch pans that they refer to or the, well, it's, a, it's a it's a kind of a weird cast iron dutch oven it's not dutch a dutch oven, oven. it has like yeah, the, both the, the top and the bottom have handles yeah so think um, more like a, a cast iron pan. pan with two parts a shallow and a deep end yeah yeah and um that i think that's just made a huge difference for for I think it would for anyone who doesn't have like the 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 brick ovens for baking bread with, with steam. The steam yeah, I've tried those things like opening it up and spraying in. in uh, the some only thing I'm water. having a difficulty with is scoring. Is it scoring the bread yes. with the razor? Like the book recommends. I just I don't know if something I'm doing wrong or Do you not the, have sharp enough the, blades. Maybe I, I don't, don't know. think you're using the right kind of blade. Oh really? You you've tested the blades I use. <laughs> you're using a blade from an ancient shaver or something like that i mean it's 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 a different kind of blade that's on a i guess i don't understand blades you need a a blade that's stronger 
Yours is pretty flimsy. Maybe I, I should then get new blades. But yeah, that's the only challenge I've had is really scoring the bread and cutting through without having the blade get stuck in the dough and not really be able to cut. But other than that, everything's been just oh, it's just been yeah, go so to the hardware good. store. Get some get some just just kind of razors. But it's also just almost a downside to it because I find myself just eating bread with olive oil, salt, and pepper and. It's kind of sometimes it'll just be like my lunch and my dinner occasionally. I like to add a little bit of oregano into it too. It just it just pairs very nicely with that sour crust. Occasionally, yes, I think it's good. But but you also like to add parmesan sometimes, and I just don't like that. Just parmesan, it's just not. I like simple. I like simple too, but I also like cheese. A, a, like I like a a. Sometimes I like the nuanced flavors of things, and other times I think I like just big bold tastes in the mouth yeah but it's it's going really well what is the name of that book that i'm using that you've mentioned before the tartine tartine yeah that's the it's a really good book i i've looked at a couple or actually more than a couple probably four books and that that is by far my favorite one probably for simplicity reasons too and and the method that he uses actually i can make good bread it's not just we'll follow a recipe and then have a brick oven like you can make good bread good tasting bread but if the crust isn't if it doesn't have that moisture at True. the beginning to let it stretch. Yeah. It just um, doesn't. It's not the same. Yeah. Because it, otherwise the crust starts hardening before oh, or solidifying before it has the time to really stretch Really, For up anyone and, that appreciates bread making and bread, bread in general, uh, that's just one simple way of making good bread. Even if, yeah, I, I mean, even, I, I would argue even if one didn't follow a recipe fully and maybe the yeast isn't as at the right, um, well, I mean, you can't really go wrong with um, sourdough or uh, or like leaven, um, just because you could, if you like stronger, you could let it ferment longer. But I, I even think just even if someone makes mistakes in the bread making process, if they use the um, the Dutch oven, it does make a difference. And 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 if a person has a regular cast iron Dutch oven, it's possible to do the idea behind this one with the handles is for one, it's a little easier to manipulate since you have to preheat the the cast iron Dutch oven, but with the the handles and the way the shallow one is, the shallow one you can put on the bottom and then put the deeper, you know, it's kind of it's a like flip a deep upside lid. down Dutch oven. So the idea is otherwise like trying to get the bread the correctly into a deep pan, a lot more potential to burn or different things. I think that's a lot of the, the concept behind that. Oh, it's so good. It's great. Well, yeah. So, so you got your bread. I'm going to keep focusing on cheese for a little bit longer. And then next... You do make a good feta. I can make decent... Young cheeses? Yes, young cheeses. But when it comes to the the aging ones, they just take a little bit longer. So I haven't figured out if if I'm really that good at those. So and then sausage is kind of that same kind of thing because I'd like to do some of the longer longer age sausages. So that's going to become after that. So that will be a whole nother charade once that comes around. But until next week, hit us up on Twitter at FirmUp, on Facebook at FirmUp, or send us an email at podcast at firmup.com. Or a message on Facebook. That was kind of what I I was talking about. Or, Or a message on Facebook, or as we've started to mention, we've always got the discuss comments available in the show notes at firmup.com slash podcast slash 26 until next time firm up